tonight here at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue through the, our uh, preacher teaching through the Bible, and tonight's lesson is on the book of Ephesians. You know, this is Paul's letter to the Ephesians, you know, the, the story of how Paul came to the city of Ephesus that you can read about it in Acts uh, chapter 19. Ephesus was a huge city, and it was really the epicenter, you know, of worship to most of the Greek and Roman gods at that time. So there was a lot of spiritual worship, you know, and a lot of people that believed a lot of different things, you know, and Paul came in there to tell them that there is this no-named God and he knows his name and he wants to tell them all about who Jesus really is. So Paul spent around two years, you know, as a missionary into that city and, and making his presence known. And a lot of people became to be followers of the way and turned from their gods you know, and surrender their lives to Jesus. You know, yesterday we did baptisms, you know, and we were surrendering our lives in the way we used to live, and, you know, idol worship looks a little bit different today than it, than it used to. However, idols are still the same. You know, we turn to certain things and believe that they're going to set us free or they're going to be the thing that satisfies us, you know, whether we're worshiping another god or worshiping a substance or worshiping a person. You know, we realize that it doesn't satisfy us, it doesn't sustain us, and we realize that no matter how hard we try to make that work, it seems like it continually falls apart. You know, and when we come to Jesus and we surrender our old lives and we believe that Jesus is God and that that He is saving us from ourselves and our sin, you know, that we find this new life in Christ. So Paul is teaching them, you know, about who Jesus is and and how that, you know, has the ability to change their life. So Paul was imprisoned at this time in Rome, and he's writing this letter back to Ephesus. You know, and he opens up his letter with this Jewish-style poem where Paul is praising God the Father. You know, this amazing thing that he has done in Christ Jesus from eternity past, that the Father has this purpose and he has chosen to bless them, and make them the covenant people. And that we become adopted into his family. That Jesus' death covers the worst of our sins and the worst of our failures. That, that in Jesus we find God's grace. And Paul goes on to, to share this story that through God's grace that we begin to look over our entire lives and see how God's love has always been there. You know, we see in verse or chapter 1, verse 10, that God's purpose was all unity, the all things under Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, that God's plan was always at large and a huge part of what was been going on in our lives, bringing us to this awareness of Christ. And that through His family, He begins to restore us and brings us united in Christ, the Messiah. That this divine purpose becomes clear that when we first... When, and he says, when we first, he's talking about the Jews and the, the Abraham covenant, that he's talking about the ethnic Jews, that they were born into the family. But Paul also talks about, then you, the non-Jew or the Gentile, you know, have heard that Jesus was the, the way that salvation comes and through Christ, that we all become born into his family and that through his work of the Holy Spirit, 
whether we're Jew or Gentile, that we are all family in Christ. You know, and that this is such a huge thing to me. That you guys are my family. You know, most of us in here don't have a lot of family. You know, that some of you I'm a dad. Some of you I'm like a crazy uncle. Some of you I'm a brother. You know, some of you, you know, I'm a pastor. You know, our relationships vary and, you know, are all of those things. You know, that as we've grown together, that I've watched you ladies become sisters. And ladies do not get along normally, ever. And sometimes it, it's up for debate whether we're getting along today or not. But still, we're all here and we say we love each other. Us guys, you know, our ego and our pride gets in the way. And to ask somebody for help is really hard for us to do. And yet, we're trying to do that. We're trying to be accountable. We're trying to be united. That we're a family. We, we bear each other's burdens. We, we come to the call. We rejoice and celebrate your victories. And we're there when things aren't going so hot. And we try to encourage and we try to uplift and we try to tell you to, to, to look at the lies in your life. And you're like, oh, I'm going to kill you again. You know, and the fact of the matter is that the truth is still the truth. And real family sticks close. You know, that Jesus is that friend that's closer than a brother, but we become friends that are sticking as close as family. You know, some of our family are some of the worst people in our lives. Some of us have good family. You know what I mean? That, you know, we don't get to choose our family, but we get to choose our friends. You know, and, you know, in Christ, we're growing together as a family. You know, most holidays I'm celebrating with people in this room. You know, good in the bad. You know, when things happen in a good way, we're there. We're, we're buying cakes. You know, when things happen in a bad day, we have boxes of tissue. You know, but, you know, we're learning how to live life together. We're learning how to be a family in Christ. You know, and it's, it's not always pretty. You know, what happens behind the, the doors and the walls of a family is, is sometimes the, the reasons that we're sitting here. You know, and we're coming to realize that we can trust people, that we can be vulnerable, that when somebody says that they love us, that it, there's not an ulterior motive. When somebody says, hey, I'm here to help you, there's not an ulterior motive. You know, when somebody sets a boundary, it's not because they hate us. You know, we're, we're learning that, that how to live life together and that there's a healthier way. There's the way in Christ that we grow together and become stronger. You know, so, you know, Paul is talking about how these Jews and these Gentiles are family. And, you know, this is completely foreign. This is completely crazy to people that have been Jewish and even people that have been Gentiles, that there's there's this friction, you know. And yet, you know, if most of us, you know, we were still in sin and partying, oh, it would get ugly. It would get real ugly in this room. There's no way that we could probably spend five minutes with each other, let alone live life together. I know some of you would rob me. That's just another story altogether. But anyway, I'd rob you too, so don't even worry about it. It's just the way it is. It's just the way it is. You know, so God had this promise to Abraham, you know, thousands of years prior. And Paul is using this poem to kind of knit this together that, that first... You know, God the Father, and then the Son. And then he begins to bring the Spirit into it. So through this poem, he's basically describing the Trinity and, and the unity that is in the Godhead and that the unity that is in God's family. 
that Paul's weaving this whole thing together and how it it brings the gospel together that we're adopted into his family by the spirit of adoption. You know, that we've been adopted into God's family. You know, and you know, I have the opportunity to understand adoption, you know, because my little brother's adopted. And he's my little brother. Like for the rest of my life, me and Alex are together. You know, and I've told him over and over again that I will never leave you, that I am always here, I'm always gonna be your brother. You know, because I've watched how, you know, things in his life have gone crazy and people that say I love you have hurt him and walked away and through the you know, God's grace, you know, He brought him into my life and in my family, you know, many, many years ago. You know, coming up on a decade. You know, and there's times I want to wring his neck. And there's times that I'm his biggest cheerleader. You know, and I'm trying to support him and I'm trying to teach him. You know, but there's times that, you know, we, we go through the dark together. We go through the valley together, and, and I, I tell him over and over again, I'm never going to leave you. You're always going to be my little brother. You know, and that, that adoption is what God does in our lives. He comes and he gets us, and he tells us, you belong to me now, that I love you, that there's nothing that you could ever do that would ever push me away. Now, there's times that we try to run from him. And it doesn't work. We've all tried it. There's times that we're just like, leave me alone. I want to be comfortable in my sin again. And Jesus is like, no, son, I love you. You don't understand. I love you. And we're like, Jesus, get out of here. And he comes in to the darkest of places and says, I love you. And because we have this crazy brokenness, and when that word comes into our mind of what love is, we struggle with the fact that Jesus could possibly love us, because everybody in our lives that said that they love us has probably hurt us the most. And yet, Jesus has this whole other idea of love that we continually are learning. Because His love is uncomfortable. And he comes into the, our brokest of areas and he never lets us go. He'll never leave us or forsake us. It's the greatest promise and it's the greatest curse if we try to run. Because he's always right there saying, I love you, come here, I love you, come here, I love you, come here. And we're just like, just leave me alone. I want to do what I want to do. And yet we can't get comfortable in our sin again. And it's the greatest thing. Because in all reality, we find ourselves back here and we thank Him and thank Him and thank Him that He didn't give up on us. That that adoption means more to Him than we could possibly ever understand. That His love for us, that as we read it in Romans 37 and 38, that we we see that there's nothing that can separate us from His love. And that we could barely understand how vast and how wide His love is for us. Because he's adopting us into his family and that we now belong to him and that he is our father. You know, most of us in here have deep, deep father wounds because our fathers are imperfect, just like we're imperfect. They're sinners, we're sinners. It's just the way it is. You know, and some of us have had good dads, you know, but they're still not perfect. 
Some of us have had absentee debt. Some of us have lost our debt. You know, and yet we're growing in this understanding that God is the Father. You know, when I first started coming to Christ and, and I'd hear, you know, all these different terminologies about God the Father, I'd be like, shut up. I don't want to hear that terminology. I just Me and Jesus. And then the Holy Spirit people are like, you need the Spirit of God. And I'm like, you're weird. Get away from me. You know, and they're like dancing around, twirling around, saying all this gibberish. And I'm like, you Holy Spirit people can hit the road. And you God the Father people, you know, you're all being religious. Like, I just need to figure out this Jesus stuff. And as Jesus started to really reveal himself to me, I started to lean more towards the Holy Spirit. And then I started to understand, and I started to listen, and I started to worship, and I started to to have experiences in the Holy Spirit. And then through understanding and reading my word and and talking to pastors about my resentments and the hardness of my heart towards my, my biological father, I realized that I'm looking at God the Father through the lens of my biological father and I'm putting limitations on my Heavenly Father because of what my biological father has done. So I'm treating God the Father as my biological father has treated me. And then I began to, to break through the resentments and pray and, and release and let go. And this new understanding of Abba Father started to come into my life and begin to heal wounds. You know, and that, you know, God always... I'm always tripping into something else. And I'm like, I thought I dealt with this. And then here it is again. You know, and I started to realize that some of the ways I act is because these parental wounds that I'm still carrying as a grown man. And I'm like, I dealt with that. And yet God's like, um, let me push this button real quick. And we're like, oh, there it is. Need to deal with it again. Thanks, Jesus. Really appreciate that. That was awesome. You know, but we're growing in this understanding of who each one of the Godhead are, because they play kind of different roles, but yet are completely one and the same. You know, and, and that they're expressing the gospel to us in this way that there is such power in it. There is such power that comes, and that we learn that the same power that rose Christ from the grave dwells within us. But yet, there's days that we don't live that way, is there? Isn't there? That we live like we're defeated and we're broken and God's out to get us and God took off and He doesn't talk to us and He's not doing what we pray in and He doesn't care anymore and we're trying to snap our fingers and get God to respond. And yet, as a loving parent, He doesn't always give us what we want. You know, and we have to realize that that love has no hook to it. A lot more than yes. But we're so used to saying, gimme, 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 that we don't realize that no is a very loving word. And I've come to realize that God's no's have protected me from myself and my own desires, even though it was a good thing that I wanted. And now I realize in God's grace that there's times that He has not allowed me to go in certain directions or enter into certain you know, relationships or, or go down certain paths because he's like, that's not a good idea, Tom. And I wrestle with him and I pray and I pray and I pray and I'm trying to get him to give me what I want. And it's no, and I get frustrated, I get angry. I will never forget the day that I was so angry with God because of areas of my finances. And, and I used to say, you could shake your little pinky at this and make this go away. 
And I would, you know, whenever I get that heated, I know that I need to get away from people because I don't want to let my anger unleashed on a person like I used to. And I put the headset in and I go for a walk and I would, you know, pray and yell and scream and do whatever I needed to do until me and God had an encounter. And at some point I'm crying and he's right and I hate it. But I remember so vividly, I'm sitting in front of my house, in my truck, so angry that God is not taking care of me financially the way I think he should, that I struck my steering wheel so hard that I bent it. Steering wheels don't really bend really easy. I was pretty mad. And I remember hearing his voice so vividly, I'll never forget it. It's like, Tom, you can't manipulate me. Do whatever you want. Have your little hissy fit. You cannot bend me to your will. You will bend to mine. And I was so mad, and yet, in a second, I was put in my place. Because if I have a God that I can push around, that's not really a God. I'm God. I want a God that is God. As much as I don't like that some days, the reality is I want a God that's so big... That even in the biggest day of my ego, that I could not move him one little millimeter. And I want a God that is the potter and I am the clay. As difficult as that is sometimes, that's truly the God that I want. Because that's what love is. That he forms me to the man that he's created me to be. He forms me to the man that I have a purpose and a destiny called in his will. And then I can't get there my way. And he slowly, through different things, he starts to teach me that there is power in me. And it is the same power that rose Christ from the grave. And that when I pray, things happen. And when I do things his way, things begin to fall into place. When I do things my way, things get crazy all over again. Like, I can take my crazy back at any second. I am a firm believer that I destroy everything that I touch in Tom's will. And I can put a religious stamp on it, and I can call the name of Jesus, but if I'm pushing my will, that stuff will go crazy every single time. And when I rest in Him, and I sit still, and I trust Him, and I do things His way, He continues to do stuff that is beyond my understanding. I'm sitting in the bank, talking to the, the official bank person behind the, you know, the glass, talking to him about my bank account, that's for a non-for-profit status, and that I'm the executive director to this thing. And he's treating me like I am one of them. He's like, yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. And I'm like, this is so weird. (laughs) I'm in there in my shorts and tank top. Just that's who I am. But yet, God has this whole other identity that belongs to me that is in him. That there's Tom in my identity and there's Tom in Christ's identity and, and they're not the same. You know? And I can look ugly and I can look like I belong in Christ in seconds. And today, I, to the best of my ability, I choose to lay my life down and follow Him. And I have my moments and I get angry. I'm human. But I, I've learned to apologize. I've learned to to deflate my ego. I've learned to, to try to do things the way God wants me to do it. And it's not always easy. 
but yet he's teaching me through circumstance, he's teaching me through trial that his way is better and that him in me is someone I can rely on and that power is greater than I could possibly ever understand. That he continues to explain how we've been we're been physically alive but spiritually dead before Christ. And that we live this purposeless life of selfishness and sin. That we've been deceived by darkness and forces of evil have, have directed our decision making. But His amazing grace has come into our lives and through this great love and mercy, He saved us. He saved us from our sin and joined us into Christ's resurrection and He's brought us back to life again. That Christ has made us new in Him and that we've discovered this joy in Him. That there is a purpose in Christ. You know, this is so powerful. We've all said it. Why? Why did this happen to me? Why did I grow up this way? Why did I get molested? Why did my dad have to leave? Why did I have to grow up poor? Why did this? Why did that? Why didn't this person like me? Why didn't I get that job? Why don't I? Why? Why? We've asked why a million times. Millions of times. In this room, we've asked millions of times why. And we've been stuck in that place. And we never get the answer. Never do we get the answer that satisfies that call, that that question. But when we surrender our lives to Jesus, and He begins to take us through this process of healing, and it feels like we're always alone, and that no one's ever going to love us, and we can't ever get ahead, and no one, why can't I have a wife? Why can't I have a husband? Why? Why can't I have the job that I want? It feels like we're right under God's thumb. It's extremely uncomfortable, and He's asking us to look at all these whys and say, give me that. Give me that why. And we're like, no, because this is my excuse of why I keep doing what I'm doing. And then we give them the why, and all of a sudden, that root gets uprooted. The sting of that sin gets uprooted. Do we get the answer to the why? No, not necessarily. We don't. But I have watched how He has taken the worst parts of my life and began to use them as my testimony in Christ. And that I've shared the worst things that I've ever been through. Getting molested as a little kid. Who talks about that in a room full of people? Who talks about abandonment? Who talks about rejection? Who talks about physical, emotional, sexual, and verbal abuse? Openly. Crazy people. No. Someone that has allowed Jesus into those areas and then he's begin to heal those things that it's become a testimony of the freedom that Christ has available that I have told so many people that I don't even know how to count how many times I've been molested. Like, who does that? Now, I'm not telling that each and every one of you that may have had some sort of abuse in your past that you're going to stand in front of a room full of people and, and share that stuff, because that may not be your path. But as Jesus begins to heal that area, I guarantee that someday you'll come across the path of another woman, another guy, that needs to hear your side of your story that says, Jesus set me free from the way I used to think. And all of a sudden, that person's face becomes the reason why. Did God allow it? The devil did it? God's grace and His mercy, mercy supersedes it. The enemy is always trying to kill, rob, and destroy. And God always has this way of working these things together for good. 
according to his purposes, not ours, as we learn to love him because he first loved us. And one of my favorites is Genesis 50:20. What the enemy intended for evil, God uses for his good, or God uses for his glory. But I first have to give it to him so he can be glorified in it. You know, some of us have had traumatic childhoods, horrible stuff. And yet God, in his wisdom, comes in just at the right moment and begins to heal and break off all that bitterness or break off all that hardness in our hearts and begin to renew our minds and bring us back to life. And that all of a sudden we start to see other people need to hear my story. Other people need to come to know Jesus. I can't save anybody, but I can share my experience, strength, and hope. How it was, what happened, what it's like now. And they have to make a decision. I do not have to argue the Bible with anybody. I just have to tell them that I was broken, I was addicted, I was depressed, I was angry. And Jesus started to come in and started to heal me and started to set me free. And now all these things, I have a list of things that I can share at any given moment that are part of his testimony in my life. That His story of how he healed a very broken man and began to change the trajectory of my life and gave me a purpose. I could never have imagined as a child, as a teenager, as a man in my 20s of what he was going to do in my 30s and how he's launching me forward into his purpose and his destiny for my life in my 40s, 50s, and 60s, and 70s, 80s. Some of you I'm going to be chasing around with a stick as I'm 90 years old trying to get you to follow Jesus. I'm going to name that stick Grace. (laughs) That's pretty funny. Anyway. It's God's great love for us that He's bringing us back to life again. You know, that God has set this before us, and it's in His grace, in this new family, that we see how the law has been fulfilled, and that there's no more barrier, whether we're Jew or Gentile, to coming into covenant relationship with the Father. And Paul is going on and thanking God for his role as he gets to share the gospel with non-Jewish believers. You know, that we're having a picnic. And, you know, a lot of the influence that we have is the recovery rooms in this area. And there's all sorts of people that don't believe or sort of believe and they have different lifestyles. And yet, here we are just loving on them. You know, and it screws them because religious people in the past have pointed their finger and judged them and sent them to hell a hundred times on a row. You know, and yet here we are just saying, come on, come in, come into the family. You know, come into the family. We don't care. You know, if they judged me as I got here, I wouldn't be standing here. And I tried. I tried really hard for the people in the church to judge me when I started coming. After the service, I'd come outside the door, I'd take my shirt off, and I'd smoke a cigarette, and I'd blow it at people as I left the church. I'm not even lying. Waiting for one of those people to say, you don't belong here. I'd be like, peace out. That's what I needed. And they never did it. And here I am, still here. Damn it. Oh wait, thanks Jesus. Don't we, we always want our own will. We want to run away so we can continue to hurt ourselves. And God's like, no, I got this plan for you. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. And like, in the midst of it, it doesn't feel fun. It doesn't feel fun as we're going through our healing process. But yet, 
as we learn to trust him in all these different areas, and we, we learn that he's never going to reject us, and he, he's there, he's fulfilling his promises to us, that he's pulling us into relationship, he's pulling us into adoption, that he's showing us that he loves us, no matter what we've been through, no matter how we've grown up. And he begins to pray that God's people will be strengthened by God's Spirit, and that they will grasp the love of Christ. I think that most Christians don't really understand the love of Christ. Because if they really understood the cross and what He did for us, there would be so many people that would be laying down their lives and saying, I'm ready to do it your way. I'm ready to do it your way. Because we still try it our way because we don't think that His way is good enough or we don't think that He's going to give us the husband that we want or we don't think that He's going to give us the job that we want or we don't think He's going to give us a wife someday. We don't think this or we don't think that because we think that our will, somehow at some point, we're going to get enough Jesus or enough recovery or enough distance from whatever sin we've been struggling with and then we can take control again and we'll have great outcomes. And the reality is that every time that we trade control and turn away from Jesus, epic failure happens all over again. And yet His love is showing us and drawing us into this new life that we fight, resist it, and we push away, and yet He's like, no, come on, this is the way it goes. That as we become unified in Christ, that He shows us that we're all part of this, this crazy family, this body of Christ, and we all have these unique roles. You know, some of you may never, just because, ever stand up here and preach. It's just not your thing. Thinking about coming up here would give you such anxiety that your head would explode. And you know what? I used to be one of those people. I remember in high school, giving speeches in English class, petrified in front of the class, holding the thing and shaking. And at some point, as I came to Jesus, he and start, you know, put a gift inside of me and said, here, I'm going to make you a communicator. I'm like, I don't like to talk. Perfect. <laughs> I don't want to do the things you want me to do. Perfect. I think one of the craziest things that's going to begin to happen in the, in the, <laughs> in the near future and for the rest of my life, I'm going to get to be one of those people that ask the crowd for money. I absolutely think that's a horrible thing. The people that are constantly like, give me your money, I'll give you, you know, this, you know, awesome snake oil for 19.95, it'll heal all your wounds, and you'll be able to be healed and win the lottery. I'm like, Jesus, come on, really? You know, give me your money, and I can have a golden chopper. You know, it's God's will. You're like, you know why? I'm never going to be one of those types of people. You know, and we've created such accountability in the financial side of GZM that there's. All these things that have to happen that no one's going to have, you know, the, the ability to just run away with your money. You know, and that we're going to try to build a facility and a discipleship program that helps men and women and families and children find freedom in Christ and out of the bondage of sin and however it's ensnared them. Whether it's drugs and alcohol or lust or food or, you know, families, you know. You know, I have young men that have been living with me that haven't really gone down the path of addiction. They just don't have family. And that we're pulling them in and we're teaching them what family's like. You know? So, like, everybody's like, oh, Tom's recovery house. Like, what are we recovering from? Sin? 
Well, how many people are going to come live with me? All of you? Like the whole church is going to end up in Noy Street. <laughs> Why? We're recovering from sin, aren't we? You know, oh, I got some Jesus. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah, brother. Am I lost? Perfect. Like, no. We got work to do. You know, I have to learn how Jesus applies to every little area, and my relationship with him gives me the strength to overcome whatever it is that I've been facing. And that he begins to set us loose in these areas that are very uncomfortable. You know, some of you are going to go into hospitals. Some of you are going to reach the government. Some of you are going to be in the sewer with me. Some of you are in business. Some of you are going to be sitting behind a, a computer screen and win people to the Lord. If any of you can make videos like these worship videos, let me know, because i got a list of songs that we can make new videos to. You wouldn't have to listen to the same worship music all the time. But there's certain specific worship music that helps me get in this presence of God, and that's what I feed you guys, because that's the stuff that helps me grow with Jesus, and it's helping us, because I feel the presence of God in almost every single week as we're worshiping in this room. God's moving to these YouTube videos. So, Joe, you've been hired, and you're going to make a lot of videos. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I just prophesied. You just got a gift, my friend. <laughs> See, I can do this. I, I, I'm evangelist of the world. Over here. <laughs> I'll send you gifts, fireballs, everything. Here we go. I, gotta, I need a jacket and a towel, and we'll be good to go. See, I just, you guys are laughing because you know that I could never pull that off. I'd be laughing too hard as I tried to do it. Anyway, we all begin to grow in Christ. You know, I'm not a people person, or I wasn't. You know, I always used to have this thing that, that ran through my head. If I don't have anything important to say, then I'm not going to talk. You know, and I would sit in parties, stuck in my own head, because I really didn't want to engage those people. And I really didn't have anything to add to the, to the conversation. And yet, then Jesus comes along and he says, I got something important for you to say. Here, talk about me. And I'm like, damn it. Now I gotta talk all the time. But yet, he uses me to, to break through walls and, and to speak into people's lives that aren't used to a tattooed biker looking dude talk about Jesus. You know, and we all have influences, whether it's our workplace or our family or our friends or just their travel, our neighborhood or our apartment building. We don't know who we could influence, you know, if we start shedding some light on certain territories, you know, and start asking him into these areas. So as we begin to grasp the love of Christ, that we begin to give that love away. And this challenge it challenges us to respond. Respond to the gospel. You know, there's something that hit me so hard as an early believer. So hard. And I, it's just what God has made me. He's make disciples. Go make disciples. That, that verse was written on my soul. And that's what I do. I, I try to teach people how Jesus changed my life. And what you do with it is up to you. My answers don't really vary. I've said the same thing to basically every single one of you, and this is how it happened. This is what Jesus did. This is how this is this is how it is. They're like I want a different answer. I don't have a different answer. This is the only answer I got. Jesus, that's the only answer I got, and I point to him to the best of my ability. 
You got to figure that out. Well, Tom, what should I do? Have you prayed? No. Well, do that first. I point you to Jesus first. You guys love that. You just want me to give you the answer. I'm like, did you talk to Jesus? Well, no. Just tell me what to do. Like, tell, talk to Jesus. That's what I'm telling you to do. Pray about it. I, I can have great wisdom. Whatever he tells you to do is going to work. It may not look like it's going to work. But over and over and over again, as I work with you guys, I, what do I tell you? Pray and obey. Pray and obey. It's not about the rules. It's not about what I say. It's not what I think even. I mean, there's times that I've said, hey, I don't think that's going to work. And you did what you felt God told you to do, and it worked. And I'm like, good job. I don't have all the answers. I'm not up here trying to control people. I'm trying to get you to, to have a relationship with Jesus and that he takes you where you need to go. I'm a human and I'm limited. But I will point to Jesus for the rest of my life. That's the way you got to go. However that plays out in your life, it's going to be different and look different for some of us. Some of us are going to do things and we're like, that's not going to work. And it worked. Why? Jesus said to do it. Some of us are going to do the most religious thing that we could possibly do and it won't work. Why? Because Jesus said don't do it that way. And yet it might be the complete opposite for the person sitting next to you. Why? Because Jesus said don't do it that way and Jesus said do it that way. And so often we, we try to get everybody to do it the way we think is best and that doesn't necessarily mean that it's the way Jesus wants us to do it. But as we respond to the gospel, our lives begin to be changed. That we become unified in Christ for the people around us, whether we agree all the time or not. Some of you have hated the things that I've said, and yet somehow you've managed to keep sitting in these chairs. Sometimes you apply it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it ended up really bad. Sometimes it ended up really good. Why? I'm trying to point you to Jesus. I'm trying to teach you what the Word of God said to me and what the Bible actually says to you. But as we get unified in Christ, that we're all part of this family, and then He begins to, to pour out gifts and pour out you know, purpose in our lives. You know, and that there's these you know, parts of the church that we become you know, deeper and deeper. You know, that we begin to evangelize people. Some of us will never really talk to people about Jesus. And yet, we will encourage people, you know, in a different way. You know, that we'll show them Jesus before we'll ever talk to them about Jesus. And some of us, the first word out of our mouth is Jesus. It's just the way we're wired. You know? And that we begin to learn that the Holy Spirit begins to empower us to change. And then he starts using our giftings and our passions to reach out to people. You know, some of us have hobbies. And it puts us in the, in the proximity of people that are unbelievers. You know, I, I like the snowmobile. I like the paintball. Most people that do that stuff that I run into don't like Jesus all that much. They like beer a lot. Smoking some weed. And yet, I show up. And I just be me. And then at some point, it's like, well, why do you keep coming late for paintball? Well, I gotta go to church. You go to church? Like, yeah, what church you go to? I go to Redeemer. Oh, I was thinking about going to that. Well, come with me. <laughs> you know, you run into people snowmobiling. Some of you, you know, we have different giftings. You know, we're about to go play softball. This is a church league, but maybe we'll get in the bar league and not get smashed like we did last time. <laughs> smashed isn't beaten, not smashed isn't drunk. Just to clarify, just to clarify, we gotta be bad. I mean, like, bad, bad, bad. Like, really bad. The Bar League was not for us baby Christians. 
That's all I gotta say. We got beat 51 to nothing in the second inning, and the ump's like, we're done. Like, thank you for not making it worse. I didn't want them to break 100. Appreciate your mercy on us. It, it was bad. It, it, it was ugly. It was ugly. It was ugly. But he begins to use our passion. You know, some of us like to do certain things. You know, some of us, you know, may evangelize our book clubs. That's not going to be me. That's not going to be some of us in here. We, we don't like greed. Some of us are going to reach people because we're mechanics and we're interacting with a garage. Some of us are computer geeks and they're going to make worship videos so we can praise the Lord. You know, some of us are working kitchens. You know, we, we work in all these different fields. You know, and that becomes our, our mission. That little bubble is I'm going to represent Jesus to the best of my ability right here. And as God opened up new doors, you know, I'm going to be a light into this darkness. You know, and he starts to use our, our you know, our hobbies, our giftings, you know, to put us in, in proximity of people that don't know Jesus. You know, and that, you know, as the people around us, you know, get to know us, that they see that we care and that we love Jesus and, you know, hopefully we're not super weird and they run away from us. But that happens too. But Paul is calling us to take off our old nature and become new. Take off the old man and become new. Take off the old clothes and put on new clothes. Take off the old nature, become a new nature. You know, he's using this, you know, as an analogy. That if we wore the same clothes for weeks on end and didn't wash them, that it'd get pretty ugly. You know? And he's saying, take that stuff off, take your old lifestyle off, take your old ways of thinking off, take your old ways of you know doing everything that you've been doing off and start to put on my ways of doing things, my nature, that you become new in Christ. And then he's challenging us to to have this new nature in Christ so that we represent the image of God. And that through it, that He's restoring us. You know, and it's so important that we take out the old lies and that we put His truth in. One of the main things that God showed me many years ago is that we can be in the church and we can be in recovery and we can still have a head full of lies. I can know a bunch about Jesus, but I don't believe it for me. I believe that you can get saved, but I don't know about me. I know that Jesus loves you, but I don't think he loves me. I think Jesus can forgive you, but I don't know about he can forgive me. And we project this stuff because we have these lies in our head that have been screaming so loud for so long that we know all the answers, but that's for you. I'm different. It doesn't, you know, he doesn't really care. He doesn't really love. He doesn't really forgive. But I, I'm here. You know, uh, woe is me. You know, like, and it's okay that there's a season that you're going to be struggling with that. I believe it. I did. I would not let God forgive me. Why? I had to prove it. I had to prove that I was forgivable. And everybody kept telling you, no, that's not how it works, Tom. I'm like, I don't care what you're saying. I have to prove that this time I'm going to do the right thing and then God can forgive me. And I fought people for, for months. That I'd run into this person, they'd tell me, you know, that, you know, Jesus washes away the, you know, your sins as soon as you ask for forgiveness. Nope. I gotta prove it. 
And I run into the next person. Like, no, no, Jesus just forgives you. All you all you got to do is ask. Nope, got to prove it. And one day, listening to worship music, I'm listening to the song by Jason Upton. He's like, let the pain go, let it go, let it go, let the pain go, let the sin go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let it go, let the pain go, let it go, let it go. I mean, for like eight minutes, it's part of the song. And he's like, let it go, just let it go, let it go, let it go. And I had this great idea. I'm just going to let it go. Can't imagine where I got that from. And I remember I'm laying on my couch and I'm like, and I said it out loud, I'm letting this thing go. Because I refuse to do it. Like, Jesus was so willing to do it, but I wouldn't let him. And it literally was as simple as saying, I'm letting it go, Jesus. Take it. And I remember that, that forgiveness that just fell over me. And it was like so simple. And I've complicated it for months because the lie in my head that said, I'm projecting the way God would, you know, forgive because that's the way I would forgive. You need to prove to me that you're not going to keep screwing up and then I'll forgive you. But that's not the way God operates. Thank God for that. Because if we had to be perfect before we get saved, we're all screwed. That he forgives us, he pulls us into his family, and we still make a bunch of mistakes. And yet he loves us and loves us, and we create less mistakes and less mistakes and less mistakes, hopefully. Some of us are on the long journey program. I was. Some of us really like pain. A lot. We think we deserve it. You know, we're taking on the abuse that Christ took on Himself before the cross. I need to suffer. I need to suffer. I need to suffer a little more. I need to suffer a little more before I let Him forgive me. I need to beat myself up a little more. We're emotional and spiritual masochists. I need to suffer. I need to hurt myself. And Jesus is like, no, just come to me. I'll set you free. I'll set you free. You know, and that that through this, he's teaching us who he is. He's teaching us who he is. That be, Paul begins to to tell us, you know, that we we take off the lies and we put in truth. That we take off the anger and and we have a, this demeanor of peace. That we no longer steal. That we become generous. That we no longer gossip, that we become encouragers. That we no longer seek revenge, that we have a, a spirit of forgiveness. That we're no longer promiscuous, that we have self-control. That we're no longer perverted, that we have purity. That he's making these, you know, contracts. Instead of getting drunk, we come under the influence of God's Spirit. That Paul begins to spell out that the influence of God's Spirit looks like Potentially looking drunk. I know that there's a lot of stuff that I would do drunk that I now do in Christ. Drunk. Run my mouth a lot. In Christ. Run my mouth a lot. Drunk. Do some embarrassing stuff. In Christ. Do some embarrassing stuff. Drunk. Act like a fool. In Christ. Act like a fool. According to the world's perspective. You know, that there's this analogy of being drunk and in the presence of God. That in Acts, when they were, you know, 
you know, in the Holy Spirit. They're like, these guys must be drunk. They're like, it's nine in the morning. Like, they didn't understand this crowd very much. But anyway, you know, like nine in the morning is not a big deal. Like, we're just getting our second win at nine in the morning. But he's beginning to explain that there's things that when we're letting the Spirit influence us, that certain characteristics come with it. You know, and I find it kind of interesting is that worshiping, singing together is a sign of the Holy Spirit. You know, that when I first came to church or to Jesus, worship was like nails on a chalkboard to me. Like, I absolutely hated it. To the point that I'm like, I'm just going to show up when the, the word starts. Like, I'm tired of listening to those people sing. It's like the same verse over and over and over again. Like, people are raising their hands. People are doing all sorts of weird stuff. Like, I just didn't want to listen to it. And then I went to Kingdom Bound one year, which is beyond me why I did that, because it's all worship music. But there's roller coasters, so I got tricked. But anyway, I remember sitting there, and I'm in the middle of the row, in the middle of this huge auditorium outside. There's hundreds of people. And I'm sitting there with my head down and my hands over my ears. And the random security guard comes over and puts his hand on my shoulder and begins to pray for me. And I begin to cry. And something began to break. And after he got done praying for me, I worked my way out of the side of the row, over to the side, and I started singing the songs. My hands went in the air. And God's presence began to come. I know singing is weird for some of us. But there is no greater way that God has moved in my life than praising Him and worshiping Him and putting my hands in the air and singing those words that tears come to my eyes. They did it tonight. They do it very often. That God's Spirit begins to move in me and on me and through me through worship. So if you're struggling with God, just start singing in your chair. You don't even have to get up and start raising your hands. Just start singing the words quietly to yourself. Something will begin to break. Another example of how God begins, or the Spirit begins to move in our life is that we sing alone. That we find ourselves singing those stupid songs that we don't like. All of a sudden, the old music that we used to have in our head all the time starts to fall away. And all of a sudden, we got worship music in our heads. All of a sudden, we start humming a lyric or, you know, start murmuring a lyric. And all of a sudden, we realize that it's, you know, God's grace that's moving through our lips. Why? Because we're renewing our mind by the music that we're listening to and the music that we're singing. You know, and I can just share my experience with this. In my first week of sobriety and coming back to Jesus, I heard very clear, garbage in, garbage out. The music that I listen to very influences the way that I think and the way that I act. If I'm listening to angry, hateful, suicidal music, it's the way I'm going to feel. If I'm listening to music that objectifies women and money and, and all this other thing, that's the way that I'm going to look and treat women. And I threw all that stuff out and I started taking all the money I was spending on cocaine, going to FYE and buying worship CDs and Christian CDs, and I would listen to it for five seconds and some of it went right in the garbage. Just being honest. And slowly I started finding music that I could relate with. And all right, this will work. This will work for now. And now I have hundreds, thousands of songs, different genres of stuff that I, I, I like to listen to. You know, once in a while I'll listen to secular music if somebody else puts it on. But I don't listen to it, ever. Never. 
Very rare will you ever hear me put on some song. I did it last year when I was teaching this young man who Biggie and Tupac were. Because he did not understand old school hip hop. And now he's like, you crazy, son. You crazy, son. Give me the loot. Give me the loot. See, now he understands. I just instantly put him in place. Thanks to Biggie. Because I sung those lyrics to him and he had no idea who said it. And I was like, oh my goodness. My young black son. We have to teach you the history of hip hop. (laughs) You're welcome. You're welcome. Anyway, as we move forward. That we become so thankful for things. We're thankful for people. We're thankful for the smallest things that we used to take for granted. We become less entitled. We, you know, we, we become less angry. And we just see the little things in life. And we're so grateful for them. You know, for a long time I took, you know, for granted all the stuff that I had. You know, in America, you know, we are so blessed. We really are so blessed. You know, we're going to Jamaica in December, and, and, you know, I know I went to Africa last year. I know that a few people went to Africa. Some of you have been on mission fields. Some of you have been in other countries, and you see the way they live. You see the poverty and just basic things that we have for granted in our super supermarkets and our local gas stations more than their grocery stores in certain places, that we become thankful for the smallest of things. And that the Spirit will begin to show us, you know, through Christ's Word and and through experiences that we begin to put ourselves underneath other people. That we begin to elevate other people. Now, one way is we start to respect authority. Like, we don't. Like, authority is not a thing. Like, I'm rebellious to the core. That I've never allowed people to be in my life in an authoritative way, ever. I remember as a, a young baby Christian, somebody said, who is in your life right now that can tell you no and will stop what you're doing? And I'm like, that's never happened. Police officers, I think, and I still fought them. You know, like, never was I really willing and submitted to someone that said, no, don't do that. And I just said, okay. And I said, that might be part of the problem. Hmm. I should think about that. And then I started to, to allow godly men, pastors, you know, Pastor Mike, Pastor Mark, Pastor Rick, and, and the other, you know, pastors in the church begin to speak into my life. And there's times that they said, no, Tom, you shouldn't do that. And the first response that I had inside is anger. Boom. How dare you tell me what to do? And then I started to realize, like, this is how come I end up where I go. And I started listening to him, and there was a couple of times where I was choosing to leave the church because they told me some simple no. And I chose to submit myself and said, no, they've been doing this a lot longer than I have. They know more than I do. I'm going to trust them. Did I agree with it? Absolutely not. But now I've watched how other people that didn't respond to similar no's and what has taken place in their lives and where they ended up, And I'm still here. 
And I'm so grateful for the godly authorities in my life that have protected me and covered me. You know, and that there is a an umbrella that they give us of protection when we listen to what they say. We don't always have to agree with it. But I've learned that if I listen to what my authority tells me and I do something wrong, God deals with them. If I don't listen to my authority and I do what I think is right and it's wrong, God deals with me. And I don't know about you, but I've had enough of me dealing with God. So I would much rather listen to somebody even if I don't agree with them and let God deal with that person than have God continue to, to spank me. But anyway, I'm going to end with, you know, the spiritual armor of God. You know, that some of us are very familiar with this, some of us not so much. The end of Ephesians is a very powerful, you know, piece of the puzzle and then I really encourage you to read it if you've never read it. You know, and it talks about, you know, spiritual warfare and God's armor in Ephesians 6, 10 through 19, 24. Um, <clears throat> you know, that we face spiritual evil at times. That we have forces around us. That we don't battle principal, or we don't battle people. We don't battle flesh and blood, flesh and blood. We battle principalities and powers in the unseen air. You know, there's times that things are happening that we may not understand. It's like there's always something against us. It just seems like we're just constantly fighting and we don't understand it. There's a repression. There's a, you know, heaviness in that Paul is telling us to put on this armor. You know, and I've, you know, made it a prayer for me and I've said it hundreds and hundreds, thousands of times. You know, if you read it, it starts at putting on your belt. You know, but for me, when I, when I pray it, I start from the top and I go down. You know, and you have to figure out what the best way it is that you find and make this into your own personal prayer and pray it often. You know, so I put on the helmet of salvation to protect my mind. I put on the breastplate of righteousness to protect my heart. I put on the belt of truth to protect me from impurities and impure thoughts. I put on the boots of peace so that I may travel everywhere with peace and share the gospel. I raise my shield of faith to protect me from the attacks and the fire arrows of Satan. And I wield the sword of the Lord, the word of God, to come against any lies, deceit, plans, plots, schemes, and that he would make them, a, uh, make them alive to me so that I could see them and use the word of God, which is truth, to defeat them. You know, and that's the prayer that I've prayed thousands of times, or variations of that said thing, that I put on that. When I feel like I'm going through things, when I'm struggling with lust, I pray that prayer. When I'm struggling with anger, I pray that prayer. When I'm struggling with insecurity, I pray that prayer. Why? Because I don't know. There might be something going on. I can't see it. So I believe the Word of God, and I put on the armor of God so that I may continue to fight this fight and to the best of my abilities. You know, so I encourage you to, to read that if you've never and, and learn to pray that over yourselves. You know, and that He is encouraging us to grow together in Christ and allowing us to not run away like we used to, not have to live in fear, that we become un unity, unified in Christ, in our new family. In Jesus' name. Would you just bow your heads with me? Lord, I thank You so much. I thank You for all that You're doing, Lord. I thank You for Your Word, Lord. I pray that seeds were planted here tonight, Lord, and that we would come to grow with you and know you 
and that we'd be strengthened. I thank you so much for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.